God, we come and worship you. You alone are worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Come and adore him, the one and the only. That's why we come here this morning, God. We, we look forward to this. Better is one day coming to your, to your church, Lord. We set this time aside to bring the worship each one of us has during the week together and lift up to you corporate worship, our voices mixed and blended together to declare your greatness, your majesty, to look into the truth of who you are, to declare your glory. So God, we pray that this morning, like every morning, is a blessing to you as we turn back our praise to you, the only God. And now as we turn into your word, Lord, we pray that as we've opened our hearts through song that you would now place your truth into our hearts, that we could more and more be the men and women you've designed for us to be as we follow you as our special and dear and majestic Father. So speak, Lord. Your children are listening, and we pray this in your name, amen. As you're seated, I'll release the children through grade four up to the classes that are ready for them, and uh, they're outside today again. It's been amazing, hasn't it? Ever since this COVID thing has struck, it's like every Sunday is an amazing day weather-wise, so it's almost like God's like, yeah, oh, it's okay, we can do this. So, um, yeah, we're here continuing to look at what does it mean to live by faith. And um, as Michelle and I were praying over the worship service this week and just looking at what songs we, we, we looked at as we continue in our series on Worship Plus Two. And Worship Plus Two uh, is this, um, as we're looking at Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, and uh, in there we'll see that verse 1 talks about worship, verse 2 talks about this idea of how we grow, and we'll look at that over the next two weeks, and then next three weeks, and then how do we serve, and how do we use our gifts to serve God. And in each one of our lives, how can we be involved in a regular, regular opportunity of worship? How can our lives be a life of worship? And then how can we come together to worship? And how can coming together to worship be a regular part of your life? And then how can you get involved in an area where you're growing in your understanding of who God is with at least one other person? It's part of the reason we're starting the equipping hour. And then... How can you witness? How can you go into the world and serve? Serve using your gifts within the church, but then for the church outside the church building. So worship plus two. And last week we looked at this powerful verse from Romans 12.1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to uh, offer, um, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we began to look at worship last week in this context, and, and we looked at three different aspects of worship. We, lish, we looked at pagan worship, which doesn't recognize God at all. We looked at partial worship, which tries somehow to add God into pagan worship. And then we looked at pure worship, which is the type of worship that God is seeking, is pure worship. And so we looked at that last week. And, and this week, what I'd like to do is take a look and see what is worship going to look like? 
What will worship look like when we're in heaven? Jesus, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, said that the hour is coming and is now here. So he talked about an hour coming and now it was now here as he spoke to the Samaritan woman. And you'll remember, she spoke to him about where do we worship? And he answered, well, it's not so important about where you worship, it's how you worship. And, and there's a time coming and is now here because as Christ came, he brought a new way for us to understand what it means to worship God. I mean, he talked about a time that was coming and once Jesus came and once he died on the cross for our sins and once he rose again, he opened a whole new way for people to worship. Not that we'd be worshiping differently and it's not that people before that were not able to worship God, but now... As this comes along, all of a sudden we're able to worship in spirit and in truth. So as we look at, as you come to a point in your life, and I trust this is the case for each one of you, where you've come to a point in your life where you've realized that you have a need for a savior. That your sin has separated you from God and brought the wrath of God into your life. And I pray that you've come to a point where you realize that that separation from God means that you will spend eternity apart from him. That through faith in Jesus Christ, you can turn your heart to him and you can trust in him. You can ask God to forgive you through Jesus and that wrath of God will be averted from you and poured out on him and he will take your sin and pay the penalty for your sin and you can be forgiven. And scripture tells us at that moment in time when you turn to him, when you trust him, when, when you accept him, that he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. So if you've come to have that happen in your life, you have the power of God in the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. I mean, it's like, wow. And so now you are able to worship in spirit and in truth. You have that spirit, so your spirit is able to worship. And you're able to worship God in, in a way that is amazing. And you're able to worship in truth. Because even as the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, that is Jesus indwelling you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you are able to worship in spirit and truth. And so we get to do that here but there's a way that's going to happen in heaven. See, here, we're, we're free from the penalty of sin as we're saved, but we're still in the presence of sin. Does anybody realize that? You realize you're still in the presence of sin? And, and we're trying to worship God the best we can in spirit and truth, but, man, we're in the presence of sin, and it keeps drawing us away, keeps drawing us back into that partial worship. But there's a moment in time coming, amen, when we will step into glory and we will worship God free from the presence of sin. And we will be able to see God for who he is, not completely ever, but free from the presence of sin. And I wonder, what would it be like if we could get a glimpse of that? How would that impact our worship here, now, and today? Well, fortunately, God has provided an open door. We can look through an open door 
to see what worship will look like. John, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and if you get the email blast on, on Friday, you know that I encouraged you to bring your Bibles or, or to bring your phones so you can follow along. There's a lot of scripture that won't be on the screen today, but I'll tell you where it is. You can follow along. If you can find Revelation chapter 4 and 5, that's where we're going to be. There's no way I can exhaustively teach Revelation 4 and 5 in 35 minutes. But what I want to do is give us just enough of a taste that we can see how it informs the worship that happens in heaven. I do more in the diving in. You can download that or grab one on your way out that it will help unpack some of these other things in here that could be a little hard to understand. Revelation 4, 1 starts out. After this I looked, John said, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Okay, so John in Revelation is talking about the way, the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And the things that have been in in chapter one, the things that are in chapter two and three as he talks to the churches, and then the things that will be in chapter four and through, through the end of Revelation. So now, he says, he's going to start talking about the things that will be. And as that happens, he looks up and sees a door standing open in heaven. Now, I don't know what that looked like. And, and that's, that's what we need to understand as we look at Revelation, is John is going to step into the throne room of God, and then he's going to describe it. Right? I mean, how is he going to do that? And so he's going to do it in ways that, <clears throat> that take the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, and he's going to use allusions to those that will help his readers understand. And so for a lot of times, for us, as we look at this, we can miss that because we don't fully understand those prophecies of the Old Testament as well. But as we blend those all together, what we'll see is that more than anything, what he notices in heaven is worship, worship of God. And the mercies of God make it possible for us to begin worshiping God now as we will forever. And the first thing we see is that we worship God because of who he is. We worship God because of who he is. So Revelation 4 starts out, John has this door, it's standing before him, and a voice comes, Christ, saying, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once, it says, he was in the spirit, and behold, a a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. John is seeing God, and he's seeing his throne. And he begins to describe it. And he said, the one who sat there has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow. And it had the appearance of emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And, and on those thrones were the 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side 
were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within. Day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So now you know exactly what the throne of God looks like. Isn't that amazing? We try to capture that. I I can imagine John is looking at this and going, how am I going to put this down on paper? How am I going to describe this? And we're literal. In the Western world, we're very literal people. And so we look at this and we try to put understanding to this, but, but to understand that this throne, and on the throne is one who is, is, is appearing like, ja, uh, like Jasper and like Carnelian, okay? So the Jasper is more likely a clear gem, like a diamond. And so there's this holiness and purity, and yet the red of the Carnelian would signify judgment, and so from this throne comes this holiness, and yet this justice. And then there's this... Uh, rainbow that surrounds this throne. And, and so it goes around the throne. And, and the idea of this is understanding that at the throne of God, there is judgment, but there is mercy, right? Because the rainbow signifies God's covenant with Noah, in which there was mercy extended that never again would the world be destroyed by water. And so it represents his mercy. And then we've got these 24 thrones and on the thrones are these elders and and I've got probably eight or 10 commentaries on Revelation and every one of them agree that we don't know what this is. And and you know and and so we look at this and we we some believe it's angels and some believe it's 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 12 of the tribes and 12 apostles and but what we see in the old testament is this 24 priests represent all the priests and so somehow these 24 thrones represent all the people and and represents everyone who would come before the throne and then there's these four living creatures and as we look at these four living creatures or four living beings we're reminded of the four beings of Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6 and and so as 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 John begins to describe them, I'm sure that he has those in mind. You can read about those in the diving in if you'd like. But the point is that all around the throne are these. And, and in verse 8, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never cease. Now, I remember when I was a kid thinking, this is going to be a snooze fest, right? That this is just all that happens in heaven. Man, that misses it completely. Because what this is saying is that these creatures who, who represent all of creation in a way, 
They have these wings that are, that, are, that are covering themselves. They cover their eyes because they can't be in the presence of God. They cover their feet because they can't stand in his presence. And, and with two wings, they're flying more than likely. And, and so they're constantly around the throne and praising God. And they never cease to say, Now, what's interesting about this is we're going to find, if you move on into Revelation 6 and beyond, we'll see that these living beings have roles as well. So it's not that they're not doing anything else. It's just that in everything they do, in everything they do, and every thought that's in their mind, and everything that's happening, they are constantly aware of the majesty of God. And they are worshiping God because of who he is. And that's where worship begins. We talked last week about thanksgiving enters us into worship. We will enter the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving, the psalmist says. And so we enter into worship through thanksgiving. But once we come to the presence of God in thanksgiving, we worship him just because of who he is. Period who he is, and, and who, who they declare him to be is one who is holy. God is holy. He is totally other than us. He is, he is perfect. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty, all-powerful. He is eternal. He is eternal who was and is and is to come. So, Worshiping God for who he is, that he is holy, that he is omnipotent, that he is eternal. And we begin to look at that, and we begin to realize that God in his word has made it evident to us who he is. He's showed us who he is, and he reveals who he is so that we can worship him solely for who he is. Only a holy God is worthy of our worship. And when we get a glimpse into heaven and through this open door, the very first thing we see is that we worship God for who he is. And see, worship isn't a reaction as much as it's a response. And in this first, for this first glimpse, we worship God because of who he is. And the response is to be constantly aware day and night, before the throne, constantly aware of the magnificence of God. So we're seeing that the mercies of God make it possible for us to begin to worship him now. First, we worship him because of who he is. Second, we worship God because he's the creator. As we move on in Revelation 4, verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, you may want to notice a couple of things as we go through Revelation 4 and 5. Number one, notice how many times it says throne. And number two, notice how many times it says forever and ever. Okay? Eternal. Notice. Okay. Verse 10. Then the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things 
And by your will, they existed and were created. So the second thing we see in heaven is we see a crescendo building. As, as we look at, at Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to see a crescendo building. And the first thing we see in Revelation chapter 4 is worship of the Father on the throne. And the crescendo builds. So it begins with the four living beings offering worship to God simply for who he is. And once he's worshiped for who he is, that moves in the hearts of the 24 elders. And the 24 elders come before and they cast their crowns at the feet of the throne and they join into the song. So we see it getting louder. We see it growing because worship of God, you see, once one person starts to worship and another person starts to worship and another person starts to worship, it begins to grow. What happens is people acknowledge who God is and what he has done. And they declare that God is worthy, and we looked at how worship is assigning worth to God. It's worthy are you, O Lord our God, for you created all things. God is the creator of all things. And this thought moves these elders to worship him. And it moves them to fall down before him. How often do you fall down before the Lord? How often do you kneel before the Lord? How often do you lay down before the Lord? Prostate, prostrate yourself before the Lord. See, this is the idea that worship in heaven, these 24 elders throw themselves down before God because he is the creator. Psalm 104 is an amazing psalm. Oh Lord, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. That's a big deal, you know. Right? Psalm 104 declares that so many of the psalms declare the majesty of the fact that God is the creator. And what that does is it moves in the elders to fall down before him and cast their crowns at his feet because they understand as the creator, they're his crowns. They may have them, but they're his. See, the creator owns all there is. Everything there is belongs to the one who created it, the one who formed it from nothing, God. It's his. And so as, as we come to an understanding of who God is and what he has done and the power and the fact that all of creation is his, we fall ourselves before him and, and we lay down everything to him. We worship God because he's the creator the response to that is to, to realize everything is his and to declare that as we worship. God, it's all yours. Everything I have belongs to you because it came from your hand. 
the next thing we see is that we worship Christ because of redemption. We move into chapter five, and in chapter four, we, worship, we see worship of the Father, and then in chapter five, we begin to see worship of the Son, and, and in chapter five is this amazing and powerful picture that, that we begin to understand just how incredibly majestic Jesus is. I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the, on the throne a scroll, chapter five, verse one, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Why did John begin to weep when no one was there to open the scroll? Last week as we closed the service, we sang a song, Are You, are you Sick of the Darkness? That's a translation, a paraphrase. Who is worthy to open the scroll? What does that mean? You see, this scroll, this scroll is the completion of our redemption. It's the completion of redemption. You see, we live in a fallen world, and the fallen world must be judged, and the sin in the fallen world must be judged. And there is a time coming when all, all things will be made right. God is a just God, and he will be making all things right. And there is a time in the future when making all things right will begin. And there is, a, there is a final judgment that must happen in order for all things to be made new. And that final judgment is held within the scroll. Some have, some have said that it, it's like a will that needs to be open. And it can only be opened by the heir to the will. And so as we look at this scroll that contains seven seals <clears throat> and it carries within it the unfolding of, of the not yet written part of redemptive history, as we look at this scroll that the, that the Father is holding and we see it held and we see that this is the end of the suffering. You see, it's the beginning of extreme suffering, but it's the end of this world of suffering and the beginning of what is yet to come. The promised, the promised completion of redemption all must come to pass through this scroll. And if this scroll is not opened, then our redemption can never be completed. It will never be completed unless the scroll is opened. And John understands this and knows this, and so he looks at the scroll and he's like, it's, it's time. It's time. It's going to begin. And the angel cries out, we need someone to open the scroll. No one is found. On earth, in heaven, under the earth, no one. And John realizes the hopelessness of that. And he begins to weep and he begins to wail. And, and, and it's because the redemption will never be complete. 
There will be nothing but eternal turmoil from Satan's attack on God's creation. Satan will never be overthrown unless this scroll is opened. And John weeps and he wails. And one of the elders says to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah who conquered death. The root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. See, Jesus secured our redemption so that he could open the scroll. He is worthy to open the scroll, not just because he can read what it says, but because he can put into place the things that are written within it. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the root of David, the Lion of Judah talks about his Messiahship. The root of David talks about the fact that that he was the one who brought David into power. He's also the one who came from David. But in his deity, he's the one who brought David into being. Matthew 22 talks about that, diving in. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Who is worthy to open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, the Root of David. And John turns, and it's the Lamb, looking as if he'd been slain. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb was there, seven horns, all-powerful, seven eyes, all-knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth, and the eyes of the Lord roam through the earth. And he went, took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You wonder where your prayers go? And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy are you to take the scroll. The lamb is worthy. He was slain and he ransomed people for God. See, if you've wondered why you've been saved, you have been saved for God. Remember when we were looking at Peter, it said we are his own possession. We are saved to be his possession. And he has ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, nation, from all over the world. And we have become a kingdom and priests to our God. We look at the, the, the elders and the living creatures and then something incredible happens. 
At that moment in time, verse 11, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Okay, so now we're talking about this crescendo that's growing, right? This growing crescendo. So we've got the four living beings who begin to praise. Then the elders are added to it. And now... We get an angel choir. And the angel choir consists of myriad upon myriads, myriads upon myriads, and thousands upon thousands. Now what's interesting about that is myriads upon myriads basically means an uncountable number. So we're looking at an uncountable number of angels, but not just an uncountable number of angels. It's myriads upon myriads, and thousands upon thousands. So it's an uncountable number of angels and then some. Right? You, you see that? It's like, this must be a really big door that we're looking through. And we step into this throne room of heaven. Whatever that is, my mind just, it's like, ooh, I try to imagine what this is. And then I try to imagine the sound. Yes, the scroll is taken by the Lamb. And the next, the next season of redemption history is unfolded. And judgment begins to come so that we could have the eternal place with God that he had determined that he will make all things new and all things right and the choir begins to sing and people begin to angels begin to understand what's happening and their voice raises with them and they say worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing join me let's 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 you're not myriads upon myriads but you're a couple. Here we go. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Amen. Look at this. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This is Jesus. And what's he worthy to receive? And it's not that we're going to give this to him. This is his already. We're just recognizing and acknowledging this and, and we're adoring him because of it. He's, he is worthy to receive power. He came into this world. You'll remember the lamb who was slain came into the world and how did he come? He came as a baby. He came in the weakest way you could. But listen, he's all powerful. He came in the most poor way there was. The sacrifice offered for him was two doves, that of poverty, and yet all wealth is his. He came and was thought a fool, and yet he has all wisdom. He died on a cross. He was beaten and bloody and, and, and looked as if he had no strength for whatsoever, and yet he has all might. He was mocked and scorned and totally dishonored and yet all honor is his. They put a crown of thorns on him and a robe and they mocked him as king of the Jews and yet all glory belongs to him. 
and he was cursed and died the death of one who was cursed, and yet his is all the blessing. This is Jesus. This is the lamb who was slain, and the reason that he came, and the reason that he was slain, and the reason that he ransomed people for God is so that he could open the scroll and unfold redemptive history yet to be written so that we could secure the eternity that's waiting for us. Worthy is the Lamb. What is our response to this? Our response is to recognize the deity of Jesus, to recognize just how incredibly, amazingly powerful he is. Listen, we've got this idea that Jesus is my best buddy and all this stuff, and, and, and I understand how important that is, but he's the Lion of Judah, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is to be adored. And he is to be not just acknowledged, but adored and worshipped. And listen. We enter into his presence far too casually. We expect the grace We cheapen the grace and we cheapen the price that was paid so that our eternity could be secured. Worship is happening in heaven and oh, is it exciting. The Father is being worshiped because of who he is. He is being worshiped because he is the creator. Jesus is being worshiped because of the redemption and the ransom. And finally, we see that we will worship God with an eternal song. And now, like it couldn't have been loud enough with with the creatures and the elders and uncountable angels plus some, now, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, oh, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, sorry, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The crescendo is built. The crescendo has built to this deafening amount. I, I, I don't know if you can imagine it. I can't even begin to explain it. I can't tell you. Paul said he was taken into heaven and he saw things that couldn't even be expressed. And so as we look at this, we begin to understand that the, 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 these four living beings have been praising God. The elders have joined in with them. They've thrown themselves on the ground. They put their crowns at his feet. The angels have begun to sing towards Jesus. And then, the, then what happens is this, this congregation grows. And this congregation, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and so we see every living being declaring and praising this doxology to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and there's this giant crescendo and then there's a moment of silence and the elders say amen 
so be it. And we say amen. And the elders fall down and worship. Oh, friends, where are we on this? How does a glimpse through the open door of worship inspire you to worship in spirit and truth more fully? Now, listen, you don't have to wait until you're free from the presence of sin to begin to worship God and Jesus, and you don't need to wait. You can begin to do this now. Listen, this world, this world is, is, is crazy. That's okay. We're just passing through. Just passing through. Do you see who God is? Do you see who he is? Do you see what he's done? Do you see who Jesus is? Do do you recognize this lion of Judah is the lamb who was slain? Do, do Do you realize? Listen, what can man do to you? What can COVID do to you? What can politics do to you? What can, what, who gives a rip? The lamb is on his throne. Amen? And we need to start looking upward and seeing the one who is worthy and the one who will make all this right. It will all be made right. And you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, have a seat to watch and to praise him. We're going to sing the same closing song that we sang last week. Last week we focused on the idea of, do you see that the world is broken? Yeah, we do, we do. This time I want you to focus on, as you sing these words... Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to take that seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, David's root, the Lamb who died to ransom the slave from every people, tribe, nation, tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priest to reign with his son. Is he worthy? Yes, he is, of blessing and honor and glory. Stand and sing with me that God is worthy.